Welcome to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. As I do most every December, I'm running some of the speeches from this year's National Day of Mourning on so-called Thanksgiving Day in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's a day when only Indigenous people speak, with non-Indigenous supporters welcome. And this year, there was a big emphasis on Palestine. You'll be hearing first from Matoi Monroe, the co-leader of the sponsoring organization, then from a Palestinian woman, and finally from an 82-year-old survivor of Canada's horrific residential Indian schools. Stay tuned. My name is Matoi, and I'm co-leader of United American Indians of New England. We want to welcome all the indigenous people who are here. In addition to warm greetings to our indigenous relatives from North and South America, we welcome black and Palestinian people to the National Day of Mourning, as well as members of the Two-Spirit LGBTQ community. We welcome all of you here from the four directions as an organization long dedicated to opposing colonialism. We at UAN understand fully that our liberation is intertwined with that of other colonized and oppressed people. We want to express our solidarity with re refugees and migrants, many of them indigenous, who continue to be forced out of their home countries due to US policies. And we continue to insist that the deadly US-Mexican border with its walls and murderous concertina wire is not our border. And it's hard, though, not to think about the environmental destruction that the pilgrims and subsequent waves of settlers have brought with them. For example, just down the road from here, there is a now decommissioned nuclear power plant called Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station. It's good that it's decommissioned, but the problem is that Holtec, the company that's been doing the decommissioning, has been planning for a long time to dump more than a million gallons of radioactive water into Cape Cod Bay. There has been widespread opposition to that because, of course, people don't want that. Meanwhile, though, it turns out that Holtec has been releasing some of that radioactive water into the air in the form of gas. And they clearly plan to release more in that manner. Yet they're not stopped. Down the road a little further, you'll find the Massachusetts Coastal Pine Barrens, one of only three pine barrens left in the world. This incredibly rare and important ecosystem, which formed over thousands of years and which houses hundreds of species of animals and birds, is under threat from sand and gravel mining. Water is life, and we humans are part of that life, but settlers have forgotten this. They largely forget that what we do to the land, we do to ourselves. So-called sustainable energy sources are rarely sustainable, as indigenous people who protect 80% of the world's biodiversity often bear the consequences. 
Throughout indigenous territories, land and water are constantly being exploited without the consent of the traditional owners. My mind is drawn to the wind turbines off Martha's Vineyard that were installed without the consent of the stewards of that land, the Aquina Wampanoag tribe. Tribes in Massachusetts need land back. The Mashpee and Aquina Wampanoag and other tribes need land back to rebuild their economies and to be able to bring their people back to their homelands. And we say there is no climate justice on stolen land. For instance, in Nevada, there is a sacred area called Thacker Pass, where a settler massacre of dozens of Paiute people took place in 1865. The pass is also the site of the largest known lithium deposit in the US and one of the largest in the world. A massive mining project on the site by Lithium America was approved by both the Trump and Biden administrations and started construction earlier this year. For those who support it, the mine is an essential component for a US shift to a greener future, but they ignore that the mine threatens irrevocable environmental and historical destruction to the area. We think today too and send out our love to our Kanaka Maoli siblings in Hawaii who are, who are continuing to live under colonial occupation, who are continuing to experience poisoned water, poisoned by the Navy in the Pearl Harbor area, who are continuing to experience tremendous homelessness and displacement and grief because of the wildfire, wildfires in, in Maui a few months ago. And, and we know that those fires were really caused by colonization and by taking away the native plants there and everything else that happened as a result of colonization. In so-called Canada, from coast to coast to coast, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities are fighting against the effects of colonization. Mi'kmaq people are fighting for their fishing rights, once again. Everywhere, people are trying to stop destructive development. Drug deaths are hitting hard in all of our indigenous communities. Missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, two spirits, trans people and relatives, continues to be a crisis throughout Indian country. I think especially today of the situation in Winnipeg where a serial killer was known to have dumped bodies of murdered indigenous women in a landfill there. And native people have demanded that the landfill be searched for their bodies. They know there are bodies there. Yet the government, both the provincial and federal governments have refused to do this. Yeah. Indigenous people throughout Canada know that if a white woman were killed, they would be searching. They would have money for that. So we join them in calling for the landfills to be searched and say that indigenous women are not trash.
Search the landfill. 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 Here in the so-called United States, Native nations achieved a major victory when the Indian Child Welfare Act was upheld earlier this year, and it was a huge relief for all of us. But that law needs to be strengthened and further enforced. And we also must point out that our children are still being snatched and put into foster care in disproportionate numbers, separating thousands of our youth every year from their land and their culture. The theft of children has often been a core tenant of settler colonialism. I, I noticed over the last several weeks that there are actually settlers saying, oh, I see that there's a Palestinian orphan. I'd like to, uh, to adopt a Palestinian orphan. Maybe what they should be doing is working hard to ensure that Palestinian children can stay within their own alive families and can stay within their own country. I want to turn to speaking about Palestine for a bit. Our organization has supported Palestinian resistance for decades, and we pledge never to let our relatives there or here down. The Palestinian people need reparations to rebuild. Occupation and settlements must end. US aid to Israel must end. Palestine must be free. That was Matoe Monroe with the United American Indians of New England. Next is Salma Abu Ayash, a Palestinian activist who was invited to address the horrors currently happening in Palestine. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. I call on my ancestors to envelop us here today with their protection and guidance. I call on my father, Ibrahim, a Palestinian ancestor who fought for Palestine all his life, to bless my words as I take on this responsibility of speaking to you today, honoring this day of mourning. This gathering continues to be a place where we not only mourn and remember past and current genocides, but also a place where we unite in power, in our belief that a different world is possible. In our conviction that we, all, we, humans of all backgrounds, will not stand for supremacy, genocide, and the continued extractive, destructive processes that Matoan just talked to you about, and that colonialism, capitalism, imperialism, and greed employ to destroy our planet and humanity. This is 
our struggle, our children's struggle, and that of our ancestors before us. And it will be a long one. It will be a hard one. But we will never, never give up our fight for indigenous rights of land stewardship and rematriation. We will never give up our, our right to fight for black liberation and reparations. We will never give up fighting for all immigrants and, and oppressed people across the planet. And I hope, I hope you are all with me in our struggle to liberate Palestine. We Palestinians yearn for a land where Palestinians have self-determination, liberty, sovereignty over our lands, freedom of movement, and, free, and to be free from the daily pogroms, killings, and incarceration that has been going on for 75 years and more. A land where anyone, whatever your relationship with the Creator or lack thereof it, is welcome to participate in building a nation with equal rights for everyone. Palestine was once such a place before the state of Israel was created on 78% of its land. Before European settler colonial invasion in the early 19th centuries, this century destroyed our societies, alienated neighbors, and turned Arab Jews and non-Jews against each other. Yes, we have a dream, and it will come true because anything short of this dream is accepting a system of genocide and oppression, continued aggression and settler expansion. We Palestinians have all the power we need because you, indigenous people, Everywhere, black and brown people, the wretched of the earth, people of conscience, Jewish people who shed their fears and join this mass of love. <laughs> Working class people and all people who understand their privilege and the wrongs of their ancestors. We have all the power because we choose life for all. Let us remember that indigenous people in our communities made visible what settler colonialism is, why land back is important. Let us be clear that young black women and men and their elders, writers, artists, educators who taught us about anti-blackness, structural racism, including exposing the U.S. carceral system, these same black, young, and not so young are marching with us day in and day out, just like Palestinians march with them in Ferguson and against the prison industrial system and, and police brutality everywhere. A police that is trained in many U.S. states and towns from Boston, Cambridge, you name it, by the Israeli army. Black and indigenous people's movement made visible the, form, the frameworks that allow us now to speak with clarity and no uncertain terms about the systemic buildup of anti-Palestinian, anti-Arab, and, and Islamo Islamophobic systems in the U.S. From think tanks and racist institutions and university programs that further imperialist goals of the U.S. and Europe in the Arab world that destroyed Iraq, Syria, Lema Yemen, Libya, 
and Lebanon, and that continue to destroy and exploit Africa, South America, and build their empires on the blood of people of the global south. I know there is no doubt in your mind. There is no dissonance. There is no paralysis. You know that our struggles are intertwined, sourced from the same well of revolutionary spirit and determination, from the same history of colonization, and from the determination to be free. Palestinians will acknowledge you always and hold you in our hearts in gratitude and join you in your struggles even during this dark cloud of carnage because it is one struggle. It is our collective liberation and that is our power. And now Gaza. I wonder, do we really understand what it means when 15,271 children, women, and men are killed in 40 days? Can you imagine it? Or that 4,150 people are still caught under the rubble of buildings hit by Israeli air and artillery? Look around you. Think of these numbers. I won't recite the staggering numbers of schools, places of worship, hospitals, and civilian buildings destroyed, or the number of journalists targeted and healthcare workers or teachers killed. I don't think our brains are capable of absorbing these numbers and this carnage anymore. Can you take watching another video of a child being pulled from under the rubble, or a man being lynched by a mob of Israeli soldiers? We are all watching what is happening in Gaza in horror. The world is watching. The world is watching. But maybe you don't know what is happening in the West Bank right at this moment. I'm a Palestinian from the village of Beit Umar, north of Al Khalil, Hebron. When I speak with my aunt, she describes to me a scene of terror that has intensified since October 7th. Settlers roam with their machine guns day and night. According to the New York Times even, there are over 200 killed by settler rampages and over 2,000 injured, including over 1,000 who fled from their homes due to these re recent armed pogroms. Some 2,650 Palestinians have been detained by the army in the West Bank, and at least 195 Palestinians have been killed, and over 2,500 others injured, according to the last update from the Palestinian Health Ministry back in November 15th. There are 171 healthcare facilities destroyed. My, my cousin, my aunt's son, is detained. And the last time she was able to speak to, speak to him, almost three weeks ago. He spoke of torture, of stripping prisoners of their clothes, of taking everything away from them, of not allowing enough food and no access to sun or sanitation. Indeed, this was corroborated by their vile leaders describing the scene with pride. What's happening in Palestine today is a condensed, 
horrible version of what's been happening to us on a daily basis for over 75 years. I have yet to hear one mainstream media report fully on what's happening. Did you hear anywhere that 22 hospitals were attacked, bombed, and rendered non-functional, or that 66 mosques have been completely destroyed, let alone put this, this carnage in context? Every report from the media should remind you that Palestinians are a people that have been living under a brutal occupation and that our land has been and continues to be colonized forever, for, since, for, since 40, 75 years. They should also remind you that people under conditions of occupation, transfer, and continued colonization have the right to resist by any means possible. And that an occupying power, an occupying power has no right to defend itself against the people it occupies. Certainly not inflict such horror, collective punishment on a whole population that has already been under siege for 16 years. We reject a state that has no constitution or defined borders and that has been deemed an apartheid state by two international organizations, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, and two Israeli rights, human rights organizations. A state that has 65 racist laws discriminating against non-Jews, including a nation-state law of the Jewish people that declares the right to exercise national self-determination to be unique only to the Jewish people, and that declares Jewish settlement as a national value. And that mandates that the state will labor to encourage and promote the establishment and development of Jewish settlement. We all know what that means. We reject the notion that anti-Zionists are anti-Semites because we oppose and resist a settler colonial state. Palestinians have lived with peaceful Arab Jewish people for centuries. Our fight is against the white European settler project, not against our Jewish brothers and sisters. That was Palestinian Salma Abu Ayash, we're closing the show with an incredibly moving speech by Harriet Prince, a survivor of Canada's indigenous residential schools. Her mentioning of the number 215 is a reference to the remains of children recently found on the grounds of one of those schools. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. That was quite a trip from uh, Vancouver. And in Mekinak and Dishinikas, I take Dotem. I come from a little res called the uh, Sagging in Manitoba. <laughs> what I said there was my name, my inner name is Mikinak, meaning turtle, and that's how I move if you noticed. <laughs> I went to three residential schools. I was four years old when I was taken away and didn't get out till I was 17. I didn't go home all those years. So I was uh, robbed of family love and all, and all that, but I survived. 
Still here. My, my little sister was three years old and my, my brother was six years old. When we got there, we got bathed, we got, took our clothes away, cut our hair, and the first three nights they put DDT in our hair. Can you imagine that? And they put in DDT in our hair and wrapped our hair in turban style and slept that way for a long time. And when we went to uh, put us to bed, we could hear little girls crying. We were lonely, we were scared, we didn't know where we were. I was four years old, my sister was three. And we wondered, when's our mom and dad coming for us? They didn't come, they didn't come till I was 17 years old. I didn't see them till I was 17 years old. We only went to school for half a day. I was four years old, maybe when I was seven, and they started they got me to start scrubbing floors on my hands and knees, sometimes with a toothbrush. What saved me was Elvis Presley. <laughs> my hair, my brush was just going in with Elvis Presley there. <laughs> that was in 56, I think. I was 12, I don't know what. You do the math. <laughs> we didn't get all that much education, half a day of school. The rest, we, did, we had to do housework sewing, scrubbing floors, and laundry. As I was getting older, I started learning from the older girls how, how to behave, how to listen. So I was scared. I, I was scared to get punished. So I listened and, and hid most of the time from the staff because I didn't want to be slapped or hit around again for speaking my language. And I to this day, I, I, I fully understand, well, mostly understand my native language, Anishinaabe, Ojibwe, but I can speak it, I can speak it if I had to save my life. My, uh, I had two, two close friends and uh, we decided we're gonna run away. We didn't last long, they came and found us and, uh, and we got strapped, of course, and uh, we had welts up to our up to our arms up here. We still had to go to school that way and we wore long sweaters. Thank you. Woo! Needed to hear that. Um, they made us go to church quite, quite often and all I heard in church was death, death. And in our, in our culture, we talk about life, life. They put that fear of God in me and the fear of death in me. Now I'm ready, creator. I'm, re I'm ready because it's going to be a good life up there. Yeah. We'll, see my, we'll see the ancestors. When I heard about the 215 uh, in the Kamloops area, I was bound and determined to go find those uh, unmarked graves and pay my uh, respects, put my tobacco down. I sat there, put my tobacco down, prayed and cried and talked to the ancestors. And there's more, there's more schools, there's more, there's more on my graves out there. It could very well have been my little sister or myself that would have been in those, down, down one of those on my graves, but we were lucky. We, we got away.
As residential school survivors, truth helps us survive. And our spirit, our spirit is what holds our bodies together. Our anger, I call it righteous anger. We have to work on getting rid of this anger, which I'm still working on today. Because from four years old to 17, my childhood was taken away, my family. All the love I should have been having. Through ceremony, we can overcome this. Ceremonies in the culture saved my life. Love also. We must first forgive ourselves in order, in order for us to feel love. To love ourselves first and then work on forgiveness. They didn't get rid of the Indian in me. I'm still here. Thank you. <laughs> That was Harriet Prince, an Anishinaabe survivor of the Canadian residential schools and a noted powwow dancer. You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, global and local perspectives on the environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9.30 a.m. here on WPKN 89.5 FM for more environmental news you can use.